when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silverandblacktoday.com and now your host evan gross and let's go raider nation you are listening to the week three recap episode of just pod baby with your host evan Grote and mo moton and we are brought to you by silver and black today the only independent raiders news source coming at you from the heart of raider nation las vegas well, the Raiders are licking their wounds, literally licking their wounds, after a 36-20 butt whooping at the hands of the Patriots. Uh, there's really no other way to describe it. Despite the 13-10 score at halftime, it never really felt like the Raiders ever had momentum or control in the game. The defense looked decent early on, getting some stops, but quickly fell apart in the second half of the game. They looked like the Raiders of old in this one at times, plagued by penalties and missed tackles and turnovers, poor defense. So overall, it was just a very disappointing performance to say the least. Let's go ahead and welcome in our co-host tonight. He is our senior columnist at Silver and Black Today, and he is a featured NFL columnist at Bleacher Report, Mo Moten. And we will get some of his thoughts. Mo, first of all, I hope you're doing well. And tell us what are some of your initial takeaways from the game on Sunday? Uh, Basically, a lot of what other people are saying, just... You're wondering what's going on with the defense. I was a little annoyed after the game. I know it's the Raiders' first loss of the season, so people reacted different because they expected more. But there were just a lot of people running their agendas. It, the first thing that came out of people's mouths or off their keyboards was, oh, what about Derek Carr? He sucks now. And it's just like, yeah, he wasn't great, but that he was far from the main reason the Raiders didn't look good yesterday. There's a lot of other things that I wouldn't say a lot, but there are a few other things that go before Carr before you get to him and, and his play. So we're going to go through that today and I'll straighten that out and get to the fans on that one. Absolutely. Uh, we are going to get to Carr a little bit later on. And, and um, you know, I, I do want to uh, mention the fact that you and I were in some discussions um, Sunday morning. I, I placed a parlay down at my local casino here and uh, uh, admittedly, I, I want to tell everybody that I was drinking the Kool-Aid all week long after the big win on Monday night. I, I was buying into all the hype surrounding the team, um, and I totally overlooked uh, the greatness of Bill Belichick. As, as foolish as that sounds, the, the Patriots were coming off that bitter loss to the Seahawks on national TV and the Raiders were coming off a short week with some key injuries. They had to travel all the way across the country uh, to a place where they haven't won in about 100 years. Uh, you just knew Belichick was would have his guys ready to go. They would be laser-focused to win this game, and and the Raiders were due for a stinker, really. And I So I totally overlooked that. When we were on with Scott uh, on Friday, I picked him to win. You picked him to lose, so you, you were on the money there. Um, it was a bad performance. Look, the, the injuries are, are really starting to become a problem. Um, it would be nice to get Trent Brown back here at some point, maybe uh, Kwiatkowski as well, and Ruggs. Uh, we're going to have to wait and see. Um, there's no time to really sit back and worry about these injuries, though, because things are not going to get any easier here in the next two weeks with the Bills coming to Vegas uh, this weekend, followed by a trip to Arrowhead in Week 5. We're going to discuss all of those topics in greater detail uh, in just a bit. But as we do every week, it's time to get to our recap, Mo. So here we go. 
The Raiders' defense got off to an excellent start. The Patriots' opening three drives of the game resulted in two punts and a Jonathan Abram interception. Some of the highlights of those possessions included a Trayvon Mullen uh, pass breakup and a Max Crosby sack. Mo, I want to uh, have you talk us through the Abram uh, interception for a moment. It looked like there was some pressure on the play. Tell us what you saw. Yeah, there was a ton of pressure on that play. First of all, the Raiders came off the edge, uh, which forced him to step up in the pocket and kind of chase him towards Cleveland Farrell. Farrell didn't get the sack, but he got the pressure enough to get Cam rattled. Cam throws an ill-advised pass, and Jonathan Abram picks it up on the back end. Picks it off on the back end. That was probably Jonathan Abram's best play of the day because, as we're going to talk about, he had a rough day with his angles. But he picked that pass off, and it was all because of the pressure up front. Absolutely. Unfortunately, though, for the Raiders, although the defense was getting stops early, the offense was forced to punt on their opening drive after a John Simpson false start got them behind the sticks. And on their second drive that started on their own 10-yard line, they were able to move the ball inside the Patriots' 20, but Josh Jacobs coughed it up at the 12-yard line. Mo, there was some controversy after the replay was shown. Explain to us what happened on the play. Yeah, I believe it was Shalit Calhoun. Raiders fans know that name. Jarred it loose. Um, but if you look at the replay, Josh Jacobs fell on or recovered his own fumble. The Ra- I guess the refs didn't see it that way. As many people know, players especially, at the bottom of those piles when the ball gets jarred loose, there's a lot that goes on, a lot of pulling and tugging and players. Uh, you don't know who has the football. So what might have happened is when the refs saw who came out with the football, it was probably Shalit Calhoun. But if you look at the replay, you can see Josh Jacobs clearly recover recover that. There are a lot of fans that were saying that swung the game. I wouldn't go that far. The Raiders could have went in for seven and, and got a lead. But it was very early in the first quarter. The score was 0-0. You can't blame that fumble on turning the entire game. I saw that take today, and I, and I just shook my head. It's kind of like you have a bad morning. Did you, do you let that ruin your entire day because you had a bad first hour of your morning? No. I mean, yes, the refs, refs missed the call, but the Raiders have to keep playing. We talked about their resilience, and they just didn't recover from that. Absolutely, it was a missed call, and the conspiracy continues when the Raiders play the Patriots. It was uh, Josh Jacobs' second fumble loss on 294 career carries, and it was a costly one because uh, the Raiders did have some momentum going there, but as you said, it was not uh, the the changing point in the game. Following Jacobs' fumble came the aforementioned Abrams' interception that set the Raiders' offense up at the Patriots' 12-yard line. The drive would stall out when on third and two, Denzel Good was flagged for being ineligible downfield Derek Carrier's first down catch was negated and the offense would settle for a Daniel Carlson 29-yard field goal to take an early 3-0 lead with 18 seconds left to play in the third uh, first quarter. The Patriots would even up the score, though, on their ensuing possession. They were aided by a 15-yard face mask penalty on Max Crosby. Mo, now, now only uh, after only being flagged six times in the previous two games, the Raiders got back to their old ways with all these penalties, and, and some were pretty costly. So basically, a young team going from west to east. Raiders looked very sloppy in the first quarter. Three penalties in that first opening period. And you talked about it. Max Crosby with that face mask penalty. Denzel, Denzel Good down at the goal line. And an eligible man downfield, which stalled the Raiders' drive. It could have been seven points, but they had to settle for three. Anytime you go against a Bill Belichick team, you cannot beat yourself. You hear all across broadcasts, and whenever the Patriots play, they always say you cannot be- let you-, you cannot beat yourself. The Patriots are already tough enough as it is. They have a solid defense. I talked about that before the game. The secondary pretty solid. You just can't make the- those mistakes. You got to score touchdowns, not field goals, and you got to keep it clean. And the Raiders didn't do that. 
Now things really started to take a turn here at this point. With 12-10 to play in the second quarter, Derek Carr was hit by Chase Winovich off the edge. Carr would fumble the ball, and the Patriots recovered already in Raiders territory, taking over at the 42-yard line. Mo, talk us through the, the play on the sack fumble. Yeah, basically Denzel Good was caught flat-footed on the edge. Winovich just beats him with speed, and he gets Carr as he's throwing the ball. Turnover. Not a good look for the Raiders. Not a good look for Denzel Good. After I gave Tom Cable praise on this show last week, uh, his backup offensive lineman just didn't do well on that play. It was the first of two car lost fumbles on the day in the 25th of his career, which is the most by any quarterback since entering the league in 2014. Once again, though, the Raiders' defense held up strong after a pass breakup by rookie Damon Arnett, and Carl Nassib got his hands on a third-down pass from the Raiders' five-yard line, and the Patriots would add three points on a Nick Folk 23-yard field goal to take a 6-3 lead. Four plays and out for the Raiders led to their second punt of the half to go along with two turnovers, and the Raiders were lucky to only be trailing by three points at this at this stage in the game. However, that would not last long because of 12 plays and 86 yards later, Rex Burkhead caught a Cam Newton screen pass, 11 yards for a touchdown. Jonathan Abram whiffed badly on the play. Mo, there's no doubt about it. Abram had a bad game. He did not play well on Sunday. News broke prior to the game that he's dealing with a sprained AC joint and a bone chip in his collarbone. He was subbed out at times for Jeff Heath. Are you concerned at all about Abrams and his health? I am concerned because remember this is only that was only Abrams' fourth game, I believe. So it could be an issue that he has to learn how to play hurt. And again, he had he had a torn um, labrum last year, didn't went on season-ending injury reserve, so he didn't play through an injury. This is going to be his first time really playing through an injury while as a pro. And I think what the Rays have to balance is how how effective can he be with the injury? And if he's not effective, do you just sub Heath in a little more? Maybe they look for some safety help. Um, but Abram, I think he'll be fine if he can learn how to play while hurt. Now, how badly hurt is he? I don't know because he practiced throughout the entire week last week before the game. So I guess the Rays felt like he was fine. But when you look at the replay, as you said, poor angles. Just whiffed on a lot of plays, a lot of ankle breakers. He made Rex Burkhead look like Christian McCaffrey. And I said that on Twitter during the game. And it was just probably his worst game in his short career. But I think he could bounce back again if he learns how to play with the injury. One other note on that drive is as Damon Arnett would briefly leave the game after aggravating his already injured thumb. He did return to the game, but he is clearly playing through some pain right now. Trailing 13-3 with 34 seconds before half and all three timeouts left, Gruden opted to be aggressive and it paid off for the Raiders. On first down, Carr connected with Brian Edwards for a gain of 14. Carr took a shot downfield to Nelson Aguilar in the following play and Stefan Gilmore was was flagged for a blatant uh, defensive pass interference call and the Raiders were in business at the New England 33-yard line. Two plays later, Carr hooked up with Hunter Renfro for what looked like a 27-yard touchdown pass, but after review, he was ruled down at the one. It was a heck of a throw and catch. Mo, talk to us about the Derek Dime. Yeah, we definitely have to get some sound effects for Derek Dimes, maybe like the sound of a, a coin dropping, hitting the ground. But yeah, he delivered another Derek Dime to uh, Hunter Renfro, and it was a big play. It wasn't for a touchdown. He sh- stopped short of the goal line at the one, I believe, for a Foster Moreau one-yard touchdown pass, but Hunter Renfro really stepped up. No Henry Ruggs. Um, I believe Brian Edwards was hobbled. So you have to have somebody step up. And and, uh, Hunter Renfro, he's not very athletic, but on the play, he starts out in the slot, cuts across the field, turns up the steam, and gets a step on Jonathan Jones, the slot corner for the Patriots. And then he leaves up, high points the ball, and comes down with it. So although he's not very athletic, very crafty, and knows how to use his body. 
On first and goal from the one, Gruden would dial up a beautifully designed play to Foster Morrow for the touchdown to cut the Patriots lead to 13-10 going into half. Mo, after everything that had gone wrong in that first half, Darren Waller had not even been targeted once to get that late touchdown there to end the half, to be down only three points. Were you thinking the Raiders were lucky to be in this game at that point? Absolutely. As I said, sloppy first quarter. You mentioned it, two fumbles. But that Derek Dime before halftime really made me think they still have a chance. Because as we said, this young team is very resilient. and They can cover from mistakes. We've seen them make big, huge mistakes, critical, crucial errors, and then come back to either compete or win the game. So at this point, it's 13-10, and the Raiders still have a chance to come back in the second half, correct their mistakes, clean it up, and still compete for the win. The Raiders would receive the ball to start the second half, and on second and six, Carr would again find Brian Edwards over the middle for a big gain of 34 yards, but he was taken down awkwardly and hobbled off the field. He would try to return, but was later ruled out of the game. More on his injury later. Now facing a third and six, Jalen Richard was stopped for no gain. Daniel Carlson was brought out for the 41-yard field goal, looking to tie the game at 13, but would miss. Patriots would cash in on that miss. Sony Michelle would rip off a run of 38 yards. Rex Burkhead caught another screen pass for 15 yards. And three plays later, Rex Burkhead uh, would run it in from five yards out for his second score of the game. By this point in the game, Josh McDaniels was making a concerted effort to attack the Raiders' defense on the perimeter with toss plays, crackback blocks, stretch runs, screen passes. Are you worried that the Patriots have exposed a major weakness in the Raiders' defense? Yeah, you have to worry about that because it's a copycat league and once one team sees, okay, this is their weakness, we're gonna we're gonna try that. And lo and behold, uh, they have the Bills next week we'll talk about probably later on. But um JJ Taylor probably didn't show up on the scouting report for the Raiders because I I sure didn't know who JJ Taylor was before Sunday, but I sure knew who he was after that game and the Patriots used him to advantage, used his speed on the outside. Raiders just had no answer to contain it. And you saw a lot of, again, a lot of whiffs. Corey Littleton uh, whiffed a few times on some screens, on some short passes. You don't want to see that from a from a prize pickup of Regency. But the Raiders have some work to do on their run defense, definitely. With their lead extended to 20-10, the Patriots would force another 3-and-out, followed by another Nick Folk field goal to make the score 23-10. Sony Michelle's 48-yard run highlighted that drive, which set up the field goal for Folk. With just 1.28 left to play in the third quarter, things were looking as if they were starting to slip away for the Raiders, but Derek Carr and the offense would fight back with an 11-play drive. But when faced with a difficult decision on 4th and 5 from the Patriots' 7-yard line, Coach Gruden took the points instead of trying to make it a one-score game. Carlson would connect this time from 25 yards out. There was some controversy with Gruden's choice to kick it rather than go for it there. Here's what Gruden had to say about that play after the game. Now we made it 23-13. Uh, we pinned him back. We had him second and long. Um, we have a penalty in our secondary. No, there wasn't. It was a two-possession game, and um, I don't regret it at all. With the fourth quarter now underway, the Patriots took over with 11-17 to play. Trailing by 10, the Raiders' defense desperately needed to stop. However, that would not be the case. Cam Newton scrambled for a 21-yard gain all the way down to the Raiders' 19-yard line. Two plays later, Rex Burkhead took it in for the hat trick, and the route was on in Foxborough with a 29 29- 
13 leads for the Patriots. And to make matters worse, the Raiders would begin their next drive on their own five-yard line due to an illegal block by Devontae Booker. And on the first play from scrimmage, Carr was sacked in his own end zone. He fumbled the ball, and the Patriots would recover for a touchdown. Patriots would go up 36-13, and it was the nail in the coffin. The Raiders would go on to add a garbage-time touchdown late on a throw and catch to Hunter Renfro, but it was too little, too late for the Raiders. 36-20 was the final. The Raiders are now 2-1, heading into Week 4 against the Bills at home. But, Mo, let's, let's talk about the loss for a moment. Uh, there were plenty of uh, uh, times where the Raiders hurt themselves. They had the turnovers, the missed tackles, very sloppy. We've touched on that, and the penalties, of course. But the defense, the second-half defense, w- was just gashed against a run. They gave up 250 yards on the day. How concerned are you about this Raiders' run defense through the first three games of the year? Yeah, definitely you mentioned it. Um, I mentioned Well, I mentioned earlier with Corey Littleton, you would think he's a little better of a— tackler or pursuit guy at linebacker you're not really seeing that i believe pff has him graded as the wor- as the raiders worst defender that's not good we talked about jonathan abram whiffing a lot when he stepped up when he steps up in the box eric harris has got like a big whiff or two every week that's not good uh they badly need nick kwikowski back in the middle of that lineup i know Rayquan mcmillan was supposed to be the guy to fill in there but kwikowski is the upgrade uh if he doesn't get back then there's going to be some issues there but uh, it seems as though last year the Raiders had a much better run defense with Brenton Buckner as a defensive line coach. They were eighth last year against the run with less talent. This year, you, you add guys like, again, Littleton, Carl Nassib, Malik Collins, and the run defense just took a huge step back. And Gruden talked about it during his press conference. It's all about gap discipline, not getting off your blocks. And I don't know what, what has to go on during practice, but Rod Marinelli, Paul Gunther have to get it together and get these guys disciplined. Uh, don't don't fall for the eye candy, as they would say, the window dressing. Play your gap, stay disciplined, and stay in your lane and make the tackle. Yeah, you brought up Gruden's uh, press conference from Monday, and I do have some audio that I want to play from that uh, He when he spoke to the media about this very issue. So let's take a listen to that. Well, number one, we obviously miss some tackles and when you miss tackles that's uh it's a, it's a hard thing it's it's hard you know yards add up uh that was number one number two we had some guys out of their gaps we lined up wrong one time and we had a couple times where we didn't get in our ga- gaps appropriately on blitzes and when you make mistakes in a one gap defense uh and you miss a few tackles the yardage can add up and that's what happened yesterday and so you heard it there from Gruden. As he said, it had a lot to do with missed tackles, which we are well aware of. We all watch the game. But I think the bigger takeaway for me is what you mentioned, is that guys are not getting their correct gaps. They're missing gaps when blitzing. That's a discipline issue to me. Uh, a lot of people are out there calling for Gunther's head. They want him fired. They want him fired last week. They want him fired last year. Uh, but to me, that's just guys not doing their job. They are not playing their assignments. Am I right about that, Mo? Yeah, absolutely. And again, you have to drill that into these guys. And I think Gruden also mentioned this too, is that with Malik Collins, he thinks Malik Collins is doing too much. And what he means by that is probably he's trying to make a play outside of his gap, outside of his lane. And and you get that sometimes when players feel like they have to push because the defensive line is not getting enough push at the line of scrimmage, not getting enough stops. So you get guys trying to do too much, trying to make the big play when really you just have to stick to the plan, stick to your gap, make the tackle and move on. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of these these new guys, especially Littleton, 
uh, Malik Collins, some of these new players, they uh, especially Collins because of the way Gruden really was talking him up in the offseason. I do, I do feel like these guys are, are maybe pressing a little bit too much right now. There's a lot of pressure on them to perform, and, and maybe it's kind of uh, working against them. So we'll see. Hopefully uh, they will, they'll will they show some signs of life here uh, in the next couple of games. Mo, I, I want to move on to our next topic, and that is all these injuries. We know about the injuries of Trent Brown and Kwiatkowski and Ruggs. We will get into um, some of those in just a minute, but there were some new ones that occurred in this game. Brian Edwards was a big one. He left the game with a knee injury. Jonathan Abrams, we talked about the report with the AC joint uh, sprain and the chip bone in the in the shoulder from that freak accident where he slid into that cart last week. Um, many believe that is the reason he played so poorly. Um, and Damon Arnett, he continues to battle that thumb injury. We talked about that earlier as well. He he left the game for a short time, but did come back. It's really starting to get to the point with these injuries where you're you're wondering how much longer can they can they continue to to, to play through these injuries and and you know how long before it really starts to to take a major toll. It seems like every week guys are going down. What do you make of all these injuries and and, and how do you think it's affecting the team on the field? Well, I talked about it before the season. Depth is going to be very important, not just because of COVID, but when you go from training camp, no preseason, to full speed in the season, guys are going to get hurt because you're ramping up the body from, again, training camp to a full game. That's a that's a big jump. So you got guys like Ruggs and Edwards who are being evaluated. They, their status for the next game against the Bills is unknown right now. So the Raiders may have to roll with Zay Jones, Nelson Aguilar, and Hunter Renfro as their top two wide receivers. We mentioned uh, Abram and Arnett. They say Arnett is subbed out because sometimes his his uh, fractured thumb, uh, they say, quote-unquote, barks, hurts a little bit, and they subbed in Nevin Lawson at times. But Damon Arnett has struggled uh, in the, when he's in the game. I believe he's he's allowed 10 catches for 201 yards and a touchdown while he's on the field. That's per PFF. So while he may be hurting, his hand may be hurting, he does have some coverage issues. I know he's a rookie. I know he didn't have a preseason, but he's struggling out there. And I think I think part of the reason they have him out of the game and they have never lost an in is because, again, he's he's given up a lot of catches. He's only had one pass breakup. Gave up a touchdown already. So those injuries are going to hurt the Raiders, on, especially on the defensive side where they're already weak. But they're going to need some healthy buys, and they're going to need some guys to step up because – if Arnett and Abram aren't aren't playing to their fullest because of injuries, other guys have to step in and play their best. Yeah, and you were talking about Damon Arnett. He gave up that big catch. I believe it was the fourth quarter uh, after the Raiders had uh, opted to go for the field goal when they were down twenty three to ten. Um, the Patriots were looking at a second and eleven. He gave up that fifteen or sixteen yard catch to kill Harry along the sideline. So that was a that was a killer there. But getting back to the injuries, I, I think we saw yesterday. Uh, you know, Denzel Goodhead played pretty well um, at, in Trent Brown's absence. But I think yesterday we really saw uh, you know the loss of Trent Brown and Henry Ruggs. They really played a major role in the game, starting with again Denzel Good. Um, who I thought didn't really play that well. You can point the finger at him for both of those sack fumbles. Chase Winovich easily beat him around the edge on the first sack, and even on the second sack where where uh, Carr fumbled it in the end zone. 
Winovich is the one who got the initial pressure there off the edge. And it's kind of funny because previous in the previous week against um, the Saints, Cam Jordan and the other Saints edge rushers, I thought I thought Denzel Good really held his own. This week he comes out there against an inferior guy like Winovich and doesn't have his best stuff, and he gets abused out there. So at some point we'd like to see Trent Brown come back. Uh, they didn't put him on the IR, which would make you think he he should be back sometime this week because that three-week period. Uh, and with Ruggs, you know, the Patriots were scheming to take Darren Waller out. They accomplished that. He needed another threat out there who could make explosive plays and, and challenge the defense over the top. So to me, those two being out really came to light yesterday. Now, now staying with injuries, the news on on Brown and Kwiatkowski sounds encouraging from what Gruden said uh, on Monday, but not so good on Edwards and Ruggs. Let's take a listen to the update Gruden gave on those two. No, we've got a number of guys that are still uh, being evaluated, Vic. We didn't get back until late last night, so, um, you know, we are concerned about both those guys, but I'll remain confident until otherwise noticed. Not exactly a glowing report there, Mo. Um, we'll have to wait and see what the practice reports tell us later in the week, but it does not sound as if either one of those guys will be available to play this week. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to get on my soapbox really quickly. With Ruggs out, I know the Raiders are missing speed at wide receiver. I know Nelson Aguilar can, you know, can run. He had some catches early in the game, but didn't really do much after after the first quarter. But can we stop bringing up Rico Gafford, please? I, I said this on Twitter, but I just want to say this on on the pod, on on the pod. Can we please stop bringing up Rico Gafford because the Raiders don't even trust him on the field with the offense. He has two catches in his career. He yes, he has the comparable speed to Henry Ruggs to replace that. But Henry Ruggs is more than just a speed receiver. He has great hands and he runs a, a full route tree. Rico Gafford is not in the same ballpark with Henry Ruggs, and I'm not saying this to diss Rico Gafford. He's probably a great guy, but when Raiders fans bring up Rico Gafford every time Henry Ruggs is hurt, I I want to pull my eyeballs out. Because they're not they're not the same caliber player. And the Raiders tell you that because they don't even put him on the field with the offense. So Rico so Ruggs being out really hurts the Raiders offense because again, you don't have that speed threat with great hands deep on a deep ball to threaten defenses. So I feel like op- the opposition can cheat a little bit, stuff the box against Josh Jacobs, scheme to take Darren Waller out of the game, which the Patriots did do. I know Derek Carr didn't throw it to him a whole lot. But when you can scheme to take out a team's best player and not worry about being burnt on the outside, it's an advantage for the defense. But Mo, one of those one one of those two catches for Rico Gafford is like a fifty yard bomb. Come on, man. Yeah, wide open. Get with it. No one within fifteen yards of him. Why don't I could have caught that bomb? But he's fast, Mo. <laughs> I was pretty fast too when I was younger. I would say about <laughs> five, ten years ago. I'm not that fast anymore. But um the, the whole it's just the Rico Gafford conversation, I don't know what it is with fans, but they like to hang on to these fringe players, these fringe roster players. And I, I kind of get it because you want to see the underdog do something because in our minds, we're all underdogs. In our minds, we all have a chip on our shoulder and we want to prove people wrong that we're better than what you know others think we are. But again, the Raiders don't even trust Rico Gafford on the field with the offense. So let's just stop bringing him up for now. Until he does something, then to come talk to me. But in, until he gets another catch... 
I am not going to entertain any more Rico Gafford tweets, questions, or anything of that nature. <laughs> I agree with you, Mo. I, I saw you uh, out there fighting that <laughs> fighting that one on Twitter, and uh, I agree with you. If he was if he was showing enough in practice, then then he'd be out there in the field getting some snaps. Right. So, all right, let's get to our first break. When we return, we will talk some good vibes, bad vibes, and we will dissect some more audio from Gruden's post game presser on Sunday. Don't go anywhere. And we are back here on Just Pod Baby with Evan Grote and co-host Maurice Moten. We are breaking down the Raiders' loss to the Patriots in Week 3. And, and now it's time for the Good Vibe, Bad Vibe segment where Mo and I will give you one player for each. Mo, let's start with who we feel has bad vibes after Week 3. Yes, yeah, Jonathan Abram, and we talked about him early in the show. I, I know, I get it. He, he's got an AC joint sprain, chip collarbone, he had internal bleeding. but And I said this during the game. Because people came at me because I w- they felt that I was too harsh on Abram. And I will say this. If you are a football player and you have an injury and you're on the field, once you are on the field, you are expected to perform at your best level. There is no, There are no excuses after that. Once you step on the field, once you say I'm ready to go, and again, he practiced throughout the whole week. Once you say you're ready to go, you are expected to perform. You don't get a pass for that. You don't get to say, well, he was hurt because guess what? If he made plays while he was hurt, you would say, well, yeah, he's making plays while he's hurt. Well, if, you, if you're not playing well while you're hurt, you, you still get a little fire for that. I'm not going to throw him under the bus as some people are and saying, he, you know, he, oh, he's not as good as we thought he was. I would chill on that. Again, I think he just has to learn how to play while injured in the pros. But he doesn't get a pass because, as we spoke about, he was lost on plays before he even got to the, to the tackle. And Rex, he made Rex Burkhead look like Christian McCaffrey, made J.J. Taylor look like Reggie Bush at times, had his ankle broken three times, I believe, in that game. So, again, he has to pick it up because if he doesn't, he's going to lose his snaps. But he doesn't get a pass. I give bad vibes. But, again, if this continues, they have to worry about maybe tailoring his snaps and giving his snaps to another safety. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's a, I think that's a fair assessment. And the problem, with it, the problem is um, after week one, um, fans were, were having him uh, fitted for his gold jacket already. And, and you have to keep in mind, this guy is four games into his career. Four games. So he's going to have moments like this. He's, he's, he's still a rookie. He said it so himself. So I agree with you there. I'm going with Corey Littleton uh, as my bad vibe pick. He was the prize free agent signing of this year's class, and he was supposed to be the one that was going to solve all these issues for the defense when it came to covering tight ends and, and running backs. The Raiders gave him a three-year, $36 million contract, and, and this week he was not very good. I posted some, some of his uh, not-so-good plays on Twitter. Pro, you mentioned Pro Football Focus has him graded with a 29.8, and, and that's through three games, which ranks him 73rd out of 76 qualifying linebackers. Uh, again, I talked about the clip that I posted of uh, of him today in pursuit of a screen pass to Rex Burkhead. He does everything right. He diagnoses the play. He gets to the ball carrier and just completely whiffs. Uh, it, it was embarrassing to watch. And, and then there were um, then there was the play when Sony Michelle broke away for 34 yards. Littleton was there, got his arms on Michelle, but wasn't able to wrap him up. Uh, he needs to work on his tackling, get back to some fundamentals. Some want to put it on Gunther and say that he isn't putting he isn't using Littleton uh, correctly. I don't buy that. I don't think poor angles and, and missed tackles are a coaching issue. Uh, but for me, Littleton's been a disappointment this year. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I will say one thing, note, one note about Littleton. He did come from a, a odd man front. He played with the Rams, I believe, under Wade Phillips. So it was kind of a 3-4, a 3-3-5 when you go to the nickel. So he's in a scheme difference here. But as you said, that's no excuse for poor angles and whiffs. He, once you get to the ball carrier or the receiver, you got to make the tackle. And I think that's part, of, that's part of the mental part of the game that players don't talk about a lot, that fans overlook. You just got to focus. And as Gruden said in that clip, try not to do too much, play your lane, uh, make the tackle, and, and, and just clean up the uh, mental errors and you'll be fine. All right, let's get to some positives here. Who has good vibes for you? I could have went three ways with this. I could have went with Mo Hurst as I talked to you before the show, but I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to go at Max Crosby, only because he did have the two sacks yesterday. He had a coverage sack where Cam didn't uh, let go of the ball. I believe the Rays had receivers covered downfield, and Max Crosby, as we know, he has a great motor, didn't give up on the play and brought Newton down from behind. On the second sack, he wasn't fooled by a play-action design, and he took Newton down straight up. So it's good to see Max Crosby get some sacks, no matter how easy or hard you think the sacks were. The Raiders need any type of pressure they can get in the pocket, and they got Cam Newton, who's a mobile quarterback, down twice. Max Crosby getting two on that one, and the Raiders really needed that lift. It's good to see him back in the fold, back getting pressure on the pocket. Yeah, let's hope he can keep that going, and let's help. Let's hope that that's contagious. Now, some other guys get going as well. I'm going to go with cornerback Trayvon Mullen. I thought he played a very good game yesterday. I was watching the. The, the, the film today. He was one of the bright spots on defense. He finished the game with three pass breakups and, and a tackle for a loss. He keeps showing up on film for all the right reasons. I love the physicality that he plays with, his willingness to come up and, and make tackles. Uh, I, I don't know. I just love his mindset and his energy out there, his enthusiasm. So he uh, he has good vibes, if you ask me, and I expect him to, to keep trending in that direction. So those are our good vibe and bad vibe players for week three. What I want to do here next, Mo, is play some more audio from Gruden after the loss. These are clips from Sunday. And there's two clips in particular that I want to discuss with you and get your opinion on. Let's take a listen to the first one about the Patriots' plan on defense to take out Darren Waller. Now we, uh, we have a lot of good receivers. We didn't come in here today to target Waller every play. Uh, credit New England, they had a nice game plan. Uh, they got pressure on our quarterback a few times. We had Waller open. Uh, the film is out there for everybody to look at, but New England did a nice job. Uh, they did a better job than we did today. All right, now I'm not trying to stir up any controversy here, but we all watched the game. We know Waller was was completely erased. He was a non-factor in the game. He was targeted only four times. He had two catches for nine yards. The All-22 is not available yet, but I will definitely be looking at that closely. I want to see if Waller was, in fact, open more than more times than not. Um, it sounds like Gruden kind of was sending a message to his quarterback. Maybe it's just me. What did you take out of those comments? This is what Gruden does. And I've, I've paid attention to Gruden's press conferences. He doesn't like to take – well, sometimes he'll say, yeah, blame me. But there are times when he will point the finger. I believe he did it with McKenzie with the trade of Khalil Mack. He was kind of like, well, it's above my pay grade, above my head. In this situation, it just comes off as he's saying, look, I drew up plays for Waller. Carr just didn't go there. It wasn't me. Don't blame the play calling. I tried to get the ball to Waller. 
car didn't go there. So I think it was just kind of deflecting the blame from himself and saying it's all on the quarterback's shoulders. And in a way, I do agree with him. Carr, we saw last week with against the Saints, there were times where Waller and Ruggs were open, but Carr didn't let the ball go. And that's been a criticism of Carr. If you want to, I know people kind of say I've, I've been defending Carr, especially yesterday, because I feel like the defense was more at blame for the loss. But yes, I do admit there are times where Carr has to let the ball go. And I think part of the reason is in between his ears. And let me explain. Carr is in an offense under Gruden where Gruden wants short, wants completions. He doesn't want turnovers. We all know Gruden does not want interceptions. He doesn't want to give the other team extra possessions. So I think Carr is hesitant to throw balls into tight windows because he doesn't want to turn the ball over. So if you have it in Carr's head that, look, complete the pass, I'd rather you check it down than turn the ball over, that's what he's going to do. So instead of throwing into a tight window where he could have got the ball to Waller, he's going to check it down to Richard or Josh Jacobs because he doesn't want to throw a pick. He doesn't want to get Gruden angry. He doesn't want a quarterback controversy. So he's kind of doing what Gruden asks of him. But there are times where Carr has to be able to know when to push the envelope and when not to. And he just didn't do it yesterday against the Patriots because – Patriots defense, their secondary has a lot of respect. So I felt like maybe he just shied away from Waller because he didn't want to try the 2019 Defensive Player of the Year and Stephon Gilmore, who was guarding Waller on some on some passes. And he just didn't want to take the chance. But you're not going to turn Derek Carr into Brett Favre overnight. He is who he is, and he's going to be careful with the football, especially on John Gruden. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that this that those comments didn't get a little bit more play in the media just because, again, maybe it was just the way I looked at it, but I thought for sure it sounded like he was throwing Carr under the bus. Uh, Maybe that's not what he intended to do. Maybe, again, as you said, he's just looking to kind of push the blame in another direction. But either way, I thought that was going to get a lot more play in the media, but it hasn't. I'm actually, you know, I'm honestly, I'm happy that it didn't because that would just be one more distraction that this team doesn't need right now. And while we're on the topic, we, you know, of course, Carr, um, you talked about it briefly at the top of the show. Let's just get some uh, uh, thoughts on your assessment. How, how did you think he played yesterday? Obviously, I know uh, he was not. I mean, I'm not placing blame on Carr. A lot of people out there on Twitter, you can't say anything about Carr. Okay, let me tell you that right now. You say anything negative about Carr on Twitter, you will get you will get attacked, and and you know it's like it's just it's just crazy. But anyhow, um, the defense was the problem. The second half defense that was the problem. Yes, the offense had three turnovers. Uh, they were not very good on third down and. and you know, but but the big the big problem here was the defense in my eyes. But overall, how'd you think Carr played? If I had the great Carr's performance, I would give him a C. Um, the Raiders didn't have a third down conversion going into the fourth quarter. That's troubling. Uh, they couldn't get Josh Jacobs going to an effect where he was over 100 yards. He was under 100. So at times, and I said this too, at times when Josh Jacobs isn't at his best or when he's not running for 100 plus yards. Carr has to be able to carve up the defense and move that offense, and he didn't do that. Again, he had some moments. He had the big throw to Renfro, which gave you hope, but not not really much on 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 big plays. I know Ruggs was down. Brian Edwards didn't play the entire game. He went down, so he didn't have all of his weapons. But in your seventh year, you got to and you talk about this a lot. You got to be able to elevate the talent around you. If you're if you're going to be a top tier quarterback or be considered as one. You have to elevate those receivers around you. And he didn't do that yesterday in the Patriots. So a secondary, their pass defense took over. So, again, if I had to grade him, he wasn't terrible, wasn't great, didn't do enough to overcome uh, the lapses on defense. So I give him a C on this, but we'll see. 
see how he bounces back against the Bills. I know, as you say, if you criticize Carr, people are going to come at you. If you defend Carr too much, people are going to come at you. So either way, you're right. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty much in the middle. Uh, people have called me a Carr standing a Carr hater. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna drink the Kool-Aid on this one. I know he made some mistakes, and he has to be better if that defense is going to perform the way it did. And and if Josh Jacobs doesn't get going for 100 plus yards, he has to be better. You're 100% right on that. It's very rare you find someone who's just kind of in the middle, but I do feel that's where you and I kind of fall. I feel like we're, we're very fair with the way we uh, you know, view him and judge him, but many times when you when you get on Twitter, they're either, it's either one extreme or the other. Um, now, you touched on, on, on the struggles on third down. That's a perfect segue into our next uh, piece of audio here because um, my next piece I have for you is Gruden talking about the struggles on third down. Well, I think we were one for seven. I think a lot of that had to do, they were third and eights. Uh, we got pressure on a quarterback, I believe. Um, credit New England. You know, you get behind in the sticks. If you have a lot of third downs against the Patriots, uh, they've proven over the years are pretty good. They got a lot of talented secondary people. Mo, the offense for the most part uh, throughout the season, the first two games, had been very good on third down, converting 16 of 28 prior to Sunday's game. How much of a factor do you think the struggles on third down were for the offense overall in the game? Absolutely, it plays a factor because you didn't see the same rhythm that you saw the first two weeks of the Raiders against the Panthers and the Saints. The Raiders just didn't have that. They had a couple of plays here and there. Of course, the penalties factor into that because it kind of disrupts your, your flow. But the third down is the money down. That's the down that Carr was really good on last week, I believe. Uh, he was he was he was lights out on that. Just wasn't that way. Again, give credit to the Patriots defense. A lot of fans, and I don't get this. A lot of fans didn't give the Patriots defense enough credit. I feel, and I know they lost a lot of players. I know they had either do opt out for agency or trades. I know they lost a lot of a lot of people in that defense, but you still have to respect, as you said at the beginning of the show, you have to give Bill Belichick that respect. Him and his son are still the masterminds of that defense, and they know how to get players to do their job, which the Raiders didn't. The Patriots had the discipline. The Raiders did not, and that makes it hard for you to convert on third downs, and once you struggle on that down, uh, you're giving the opposition an advantage. Yeah, and uh, two things. Uh, Carr was very good on third down against the Saints. He was 10 of 17 uh, in that game. And um, the Raiders were ranked, I believe Tony Romo talked about it during the broadcast, going into the game, they were completing uh, 57% on third down, and that was second in the league. So, you know, offenses have to convert on third down. It keeps those drives going, like you said, and, and hopefully it's an area where the Raiders will improve uh, as they look ahead to, to Buffalo. Now, now speaking of looking ahead, before we wrap it up here this week, I, I would like to get a quick look at the Buffalo Bills, who are the week four opponent for the Raiders. Bills are 3-0 right now. They're playing incredibly well on offense, led by Josh Allen. They have the fourth highest scoring offense in the league, 31 points a game. I know it's early in the week and we're still digesting week three a bit, but I would like to get some of your early thoughts on the Bills as we roll along here into week four. So Nick Cothrow of Silver and Black today, who's a staff writer on the site, pointed this out. Josh Allen is one of four players who has a 3-0 record with his team, 1,000-plus throwing yards, and 
plus touchdown passes. So he's playing out of his mind right now. I had doubts about Josh Allen coming to the league. I thought he would have accuracy issues throughout his career. He is completing 71.1% of his passes. Also, what sticks out to me is his speed on the outside with the Bills wide receiver, Stephon Diggs and John Brown. They're really going to test the Raiders secondary. Damon Arnett, as I spoke earlier, has had some coverage issues. So I wonder if maybe Nevin Lawson gets more snaps. You talked about Trayvon Mullen having good vibes for you. I think I'm not worried about Trayvon Mullen on his end. What I worry about is Damon Arnett defending either Stephon Diggs. If the Raiders don't figure that out, it could be a long day for them. Yeah, and Buffalo was a playoff team a year ago, and they look to be well on their way again. I really like the coach, McDermott. He's really turned that program around and has them competing consistently each week. And, and I'd say uh, when you look at, around the league at some of the early M- candidates for MVP, certainly Russell Wilson has to be the front runner right now, but I'd say Josh Allen is right there with him. He's playing that good. He possesses a lot of the same uh, traits as Cam Newton. In fact, I'd say that was that is a pretty darn good player comp- comparison for for Josh Allen is Cam Newton so might see a, a similar game plan uh, going into this week for the Raiders and, and then de- defensively you talked about some of the guys they have there Tredavious White who is 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 he's as good as that gets uh, at, at the cornerback position and they're pretty stingy against the run but they do give up seven uh, 275 yards passing a game five touchdowns through the air allowed so far this season which ranks them 17th in the league uh, Mo when you look at the schedule They've got Buffalo this week, followed by Kansas City at Arrowhead. Uh, then they go on the bye, and off the bye, they come back and play Tampa Bay. Ideally, you would be happy. Would would you be happy if I told you the Raiders came out of that with a three and three record heading into Week Seven at Cleveland? Yeah, I would be happy with that because a lot of people didn't think they would be three and three at that point, including myself. I went on Silver and Black today with Scott and Q, and I said they would be two and four at, at that point. And I stick to that, and I kind of dropped a bomb on the timeline early this morning, and I asked the fans, how would you feel if the Raiders didn't win another game until November? And a lot of, I shouldn't have done that because a lot of fans freaked out, but if you look at their games, Buffalo, Kansas City, Tampa Bay, these are all playoff caliber teams. I know Tampa Bay hasn't made it since I believe 2007, but they're playing a lot better. Tom Bray looks like he's found his rhythm. It's very possible the Raiders could lose the next three games, and I know Twitter will be a blade if that happens but I wouldn't be surprised if that were to occur but I feel like the Raiders were going to struggle early and then finish strong because of all their young talent I would say don't jump ship yet people are jumping ship after one loss so I can imagine what it would be after a four game losing streak but I would just say hang in there because the schedule lightens up they can stay healthy they'll be fine even if they go into that point two and four but if they do go three and three and they steal a game from Buffalo Kansas City or Tampa Bay Uh, The light is bright, and they they should be on their way to a a strong record because, again, it it gets a lot easier in the second half of the season. If they can stay healthy, they could be a playoff team. Uh, Mo, I don't even want to think about what this fan base will do if they don't win again until November, but it's certainly a possibility. You're right about that. All right, great job again this week, Mo. Thank you again for your time and your great analysis as always. Raider Nation, that is going to do it for this week's recap episode of Just Pod Baby. Make sure you are subscribing to the show. You will hear from me in a couple days. Uh, when I'll be previewing week four against the Buffalo Bills. For my co-host, Mo Moten, I am Evan Grote. Thank you for listening, and have a great week, everybody. And as always, just win, baby.